0: This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursdays of each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. We create quality media products like this podcast and we help you market them. One product we make is high quality ebooks, which are great for generating leads. Check out some examples of ebooks we've produced and hire us to edit, design, and format your company's next ebook. Go to harringtoninteractive.com. In this episode, Bucky Rosenbaum and friends share a dinner and conversation group. It's one from the archives, recorded on August 16th, 2018.
1: I'm gonna ask uh, Larry Stone and Bucky Rosenbaum to come uh, come up here to the stage at Puckett's. One of the, the, the goals that uh, we have here at Puckett's uh, with, with the New Canaan Society Breakfast with the Brothers is that we wind up uh, in our life uh, outside of this building having a richer experience with friends Having ha- actually having friends, because uh, for you guys who are new and haven't been with us this morning, we say this all the time, that most guys, at least at some point in their life, don't have any friends and don't know how to make them. And we're here to help you with that. Um, one of the things that, that happened in our life, um, the three of us have been a part of a larger dinner group uh, called Dinner and Conversation. Uh, David Watson is in it. Tom Bates is in it. Uh, Mocha here this morning. Anybody here? Hey, look at that! Uh, anybody else I'm forgetting? Who else also in that group? Anybody else? Yeah. So um, it's, it it came about as a result of Larry and I having the conversations, having known each other for about 20 years, and realizing that we didn't really know what was going on in our in our lives. Uh, Larry was having. Uh, some difficulties uh, having access to his grandchildren, because of the, that's a long story, he can tell it if he wants to. I was having difficulties with uh, people that I trusted in business, had given the reins of my company to, and there was betrayal inside the company. And Larry, after about an hour and a half lunch, says to me, why don't we know this about each other? How can we know each other for 20 years and not know what is going on in our lives? And I go, I don't know, but I can't live that way anymore. And he said, well, what do you want to do about it? And I said, well, I don't know what to do about it, but I've got a table, and if, if the two of us would invite some of our friends, maybe we could start having conversations about things we actually care about. Um, you know, The church in Hollywood tell us all the time that the thing guys care about most is our sexual experiences in life, which is a bunch of crap. Uh, we care about that. It's an important part of our life, but it's not what we care about most. And so we're, we're constantly being told what to care about and what we care about, and there's very little expression of it. And uh, we would find, uh, in our, even in our small uh, group settings with couples, that we'd wind up defaulting to talking about our work uh, oh, what about that game? And, and you talk about your game, your golf game, or uh, your favorite college uh, team, as though that were the only thing you cared about, or the thing that you cared about most. And it's, it's okay; it's something that's fun, but it's not what we care about most. Or we and, talk about the weather.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't know if you're like me, but if I'm with just some other people, I will talk about other things. And if I'm with my other people and Lois, right? Yeah,
1: and yeah, and we we wound up. You know, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more as we go, but um, we started this. We had one night uh, 12 years ago, and I was as nervous as a as a bantam rooster. I mean, I didn't know what was going on, except for the fact that I wanted to communicate to the guys what was on my heart. That I couldn't live in a world of silent men any longer. I wasn't gonna do it. I didn't care what it took. I was not gonna live in that world anymore, and. Um, the first night we, we, we got together, we had steak and potatoes and salad, and I told the guys, look, we're going we're gonna to have this conversation, and I'm going to ask each one of you a question. It doesn't sound real spiritual, but this is all designed to have some, some, something to do with Jesus being the center of our life, spiritual friendship, and the question was, what's the most surprising thing that has ever happened in your life? And everybody went around the room and, and, and answered that, and I told them, look, we're gonna end this at 8.30, I have a scripture to read and a prayer to give, and, you're, and we're done for the night. At 8.30 is exactly what we did, and nobody left the house until quarter to 10, and everyone said, can we please do this again? And so that's what that was the start of our 12-year dinner experience of having conversations that went wherever, wherever they go and also uh, the impetus that started this group here, the Men's Breakfast, so that we could at least have, this this is what we consider at Puckets to be kind of entry level into friendship, where you can come and you can share whatever's on your heart. Or you can hide, but you can be with guys. At least you can do that. Just to keep it real, the uh, the wine also helps. Yeah, the wine helps. We uh, we said in the very beginning that uh, admission was a bottle of wine, uh, and the purpose of that was to keep everybody
3: honest. Uh,
1: it works sometimes. Uh, so, why don't we start with a quick introduction of our of our stories, and then we got uh, maybe some questions and things. But just just a brief in, introduction about who we are and and how we got to know each other and what we want. What we want. What, what do you want me to know about you? What What can I tell you about my, uh, myself that you after twelve years don't know? So let's see where we go here.
2: Oh my goodness. Professionally, I'm a book publisher. And if you really, I mean, I've done that all my life, but if you really scratch at me, what I really like to do is to help others create their books. And when I was in college, I remember God calling me. My calling in life is to help people create books far better and get out their message far better than they ever dreamed possible without putting myself into what they're saying. I had a good friend who was an editor that would take a, a manuscript and then he would edit it and put his message into what that person was trying to say, and that's not fair. Um, but what really focuses my life right now is I have 11 grandchildren naturally. I mean, I got two boys, one with nine kids and one with two, and then 11 others that call Lois and me Grandma and Grandpa Stone. And that takes a lot of time because I feel very committed to building relationships with all 11. And you can't quite do that, but I do the best I can.
3: Uh, well, first of all, the thing that binds us together is all three of us knew each other through our working careers. I spent 20 years uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention, two years at the Executive Committee, and 18 years at what used to be called the Baptist Sunday School Board, LifeWay and uh, worked in the publishing division, and then from there ended up in California, uh, working at a ministry affiliated with Saddleback Church and Rick Warren. Um, But these guys have been in and out of my life for at least 30, 35 years. We would see each other at conventions, Uh, Larry and I were just talking in November every year was Bible Week, and all the Bible publishers in the nation would go to the American Bible Society in New York, and I think that's where we first met. Yeah. And, uh, but that's what I do. Who I am is I am the father of, uh, if you count those that have married in, I've got nine kids now, uh, five of my own, and four that have married in, which are a great delight. And they have uh, started uh, blessing us. We have uh, seven grants. Uh, the youngest will be a year in just a few days. And uh, as evidence of that, my uh, my oldest son, Adam, is with me today. And so he is uh, <clears throat> my son in whom I am very well pleased. So, uh, um, but just a footnote on that, um, I'm also a survivor of the recession and uh, hit bottom financially and started over. And through the uh, encouragement of a friend, Uh, who at the time was an old high high school buddy who was a senator from uh, Maryville encouraged me to look for employment in state government so for the last uh, seven years I serve you (laughs) as a taxpayer I work in the Department of Human Resources with the state of Tennessee where I do executive coaching and leadership development for uh, all of the agencies in the executive branch and so it's a privilege to serve and I guess that's the, that's the thing, is, is I loved my job in publishing serving pastors and then serving authors, and then uh, serving those in, in ministry and in bookstores. And, uh, and now I get to serve other agencies in state government that serve you. And so uh, that's, that's very brief. There's yeah, a lot more. About there's it. a lot more. I, I think uh, both of these guys know
1: me uh, very well. I, I don't know there is any secrets that I have that you don't know, and uh, that's a really safe uh, thing to have. Um, and, and when I say secrets, I, I don't really have secrets anymore. Um, you you know my weaknesses. You know that Amish insecurity, that Amish guilt and shame that we that we grew up with in in, in the Amish world, which is for those of you who, who struggle with uh, guilt and shame, I can probably outdo you, because everything in the room that goes wrong is my fault, right? they uh, so, take advantage of that. Yeah, <laughs> they do, and so uh, and that's why I feed them all the time, just because I'm trying to buy their, no, anyway. Uh, so the the thing that, that happens in my life is I go back and forth between uh, being this really confident guy on the exterior, and, and also being very confident on the inside of certain things, and then flipping uh, flipping sometimes to this place of insecurity uh, that, that just, like, I just have to really struggle with that sometimes and go, what, Lord, are you sure you're sending the right guy into this mix? Why me? Because we were taught uh, in the Amish culture, you don't raise your head above your fe- fellows. Who do, you th- who do you think you are that you have something to say uh, in the room? Um, and it's, it's a strange kind of thing, but some of you understand this. Uh, based on the kind of families you came from, based on your religious experience perhaps. So so this is one of the things that uh, our group as Dinner and Conversation has continued to happen, has really helped me to understand the value and the beauty of my own life. Uh, and we don't talk about that very much. We have a hard time, uh, most of us, talking about Uh, the fact that that I have intrinsic value. There's something about me that is really important, something about myself that is really good and godly and true and right uh, and not all depraved. Uh, There are parts of it that struggle with the depravity, but but who I am, uh, am, I'm created, I'm minted if you will, in the beauty of God. Uh, And our dinner group has really helped that because we've We've gone through all kinds of seasons with that over 12 years uh, some in brokenness some in sorrow uh, some in just joyful playful laughter uh, and and being together has helped us develop uh, a deeper sense of playfulness in our life uh, that I think is that goes well beyond uh, those times
3: when we get together for dinner uh, what do you want to talk about <laughs> Well, I just had kind a of thought when you were talking, there are there's some other fellows in the room that represent um, an extension of what the three of us have been a part of, with David and, and Tom. And um, There's a group of guys that uh, I was in CLC, many of you know about Christian Leadership Concepts, CLC, and did several CLC groups over the years. And uh, my, my brother-in-arms in CLC, we did uh, uh, three or four groups together, John Gifford, back here at the bar. And so John has been walking with me for, gosh, 35 years or so. And he also knows a lot of my uh, uh, my uh, my real stuff, yeah. not the stuff that we hide. And along with that, uh, Wes Turner, back in the back uh he asked me, he says, I think I'm in your story. I said, yes, but we won't tell all the parts, but he's my attorney, so we're the same. We're going to have him up at that's, the end of this, That's right. Yeah. The client privilege. Yeah, right, all that kind right. of stuff. And then, uh, and then there's another group. Uh, there was a publisher, a publishing group that uh, have kind of evolved, but I, I, we bring to it what you guys have modeled. Uh, many of you have know Ken Mansfield, who used to work with the Beatles and was head of Apple Records in the uh, 60s uh, and has spoken here on this platform. He now lives in uh, Panama City. And so there, every time he comes to town, there's a group of four or five of us that get together and, and we're all kind of publishing related, but we all talk about our love for Jesus and our love for one another. And Brian Mitchell in the corner is part of that group. We we call ourselves uh, the... Um, uh, the uh, what is it? The Band of Brothers on the Run. The Band of Brothers on the Run. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from what? Running from what? Yeah. <laughs> just sort of a takeoff yeah. on the whole Beatles thing. Oh, yeah. And okay. then uh, Wes and John, we, we were on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters many years ago, and, and someone pulled out a flask of rum, and we we're sitting around the campfire, and, and someone started telling this yarn about on this very spot, the water flows this way to Hudson Bay and this way to uh, the Atlantic Ocean. This is called the Laurentian Divide, and so we christened uh, that moment as the Holy Brotherhood of the Laurentian Divide. So, so anyway, I'm just trying to illustrate that there are guys here that are part of my story who came to support me, and I just wanted them to know it started with these guys. Well, what was the
1: strict? What was the strict? Uh, what was the movement from strict? Southern Baptist convention to run.
3: Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what. Well, first of all, it was communion. It was all we had available in the Canadian wilderness. It was
2: easy. He was the only Southern Baptist there. <laughs>
3: But truthfully, and what this just demonstrates is kind of the bottom line of all of these fellowships is there's there's no bull, bull shooting allowed. We'll, we'll make it politically correct, but no no BS. It's you don't have to open your kimono and share everything about your life. And I wouldn't do that here. But there are parts of what we do, as Wes said. I don't want to talk about sports. I want to talk about that my wife and I had an argument on the way here, and I feel like crap. Yeah. And I don't want to get into the details about that, but at the same time, I don't want to put on a smiley, happy face. And, and what that does for me is that triggers pain from the past. Of I lived in Augusta, Georgia, growing up, and then we moved across the river to North Augusta. And, and I cannot remember ever being a Sunday In my grade school days, when we didn't get into the church, everybody was mad, we were late, people were shouting, there was lots of cussing and swearing between my parents and us and my other two younger brothers, and we'd pull up into the parking lot and just smile. (laughs) And some of you from your nodding heads uh, recognize that. And I think in a polite, cultural way, we do that when we're with one another. And uh, so these three groups have allowed me to just be the real Bucky. yeah i think so we like that guy better than the other guy we met before yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and and as a testimony my 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 son is here who could also yep say yep 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 and uh and so today i'm trying to be a grandfather and a father that that models authentic christian love and uh and Again, you don't have to share everything, but what you do share, you want to make it real and obvious. One of the reasons that um, the men's groups that
1: we're a part of are so important, and, and maybe Larry, you can talk to this a bit, but uh, I realized a long time ago that my wife does not uh, need me to treat her like the Bordeaux landfill. In other words, I don't have to spill. She doesn't want to hear all the gnarly things that I can think about, or all the all, all the. She just doesn't need to hear it. Um, You know, she's not, in that sense, my best friend. She's my wife. And guarding her heart and guarding our relationship not through, not through hiding, but, but through realizing there are certain things that knowing her and knowing uh, the abusive past that she came from, she can't handle certain kinds of things. You guys can't. Uh, and, and it's important to, to know the difference between what a best friend is and, and the honor and cherished uh, position of a wife. And, and sometimes your wife is your best friend. But uh, when guys tell me that, I kind of look at them. I go, "Are you really telling me the truth here? Because, because are you telling me you can tell her absolutely everything that's going on in your heart?" But Larry, what do you what do you have to throw into that?
2: Well, I was I was thinking about frequently. I'll go and I'll figure I'm just going to have a good time, but all of us every once in a while we got a problem, if you will. And I remember this one time, I had been in the middle of i've been through two churches in nashville that each had fights within them and finally we landed in a church with the ah this is safe stable no problems and it wound up being the nastiest church fight some people say, well that's the problem you go to these churches wherever you go it's going to be a church fight <laughs> but i remember i was able to go and just sort of it's not the kind of thing you want to run into somebody and, and talk about but at the dinner and conversation i could just say brothers i got this problem i mean I don't want to give up on church. And I remember Buddy Green said he had talked, he gave me some advice. And it was that he had heard, and if you go to a new town, find the closest church to your house, and try it for six months and see if that's where God wants you. And so partially through that advice, we now in a church we're very happy with, and so far no splits. Um, But it's just the ability to unbear a particular problem you might have and know that they're going to be okay with it. That may be helpful.
3: <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't help think about something that I hear at work a lot. I, I work in the Department of Human Resources and we have a similar saying. This job would be so much easier if we could focus on the resources and not the humans. And, uh, <laughs> and, and well, I think it's a line from a, from a country song, but wherever I go, there I am. And, uh, and sometimes the common denominator of a lot of those things is, is I have to stop and go, wait a minute, instead of focusing on the things that upset me, it's like, what is it about myself that I need to change? And more often than not, the things that I see that upset me and get me stirred up, especially on the news, is if I'm really rigorously honest, I do that too. And um, like a big deal right now for me in, in, in our culture is what is truth? Why can't people just tell the truth? And, and But if I'm honest about that, I've been lying to my wife for 41 years. About stuff in my life that I felt shame and guilt about that I did not want her to know ever, and in some cases, I could share with these guys, but i wouldn 't dare share it with my wife and uh, A couple of years ago, we made a two and a half years ago we, we we made a covenant with one another that we will never keep secrets from one another, and that 's been very painful going through well what are all the secrets since we met <laughs> and uh, some of you may know that as a disclosure and so we went through a disclosure with uh, with Christian therapists who helped us with that it was brutal and it was hard but it was also a clean sweep and now you can get up in the morning and go I you know I can live for today and live in the moment and and something to back to the Amish thing that you were talking about it's it's the sin, and, I, and it, is a, it is a tool from hell. And that is comparing our insides with other people's outsides. Wow. Wow, wow. So say s- it again. Come on. Comparing say. our insides with other people's outsides. So it's kind of the reverse of the Amish thing. It's like, wow, look at that guy. He's got a car or his house or his marriage or his kids. He must really have it together. And then you start comparing what you're feeling inside and you just go oh i'm just not i'm not i'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a dirt clod
1: i think all of our orientation is to start uh, with the external man looks on the outward part god looks in the heart but i can't i can't remember uh when i was young having much of any perspective except on what was on the outside it took me a long time uh, to learn discernment and i still have to i really still have to work on that i prayed for wisdom all my life but I was always curious about why Linda seemed more street savvy, in other words, more discerning about the people we were with or the situations we were in than I was, and she hadn 't prayed for wisdom, but half her life, and i prayed for wisdom all my life. you know how did that happen and I realized you know Solomon says, "Get wisdom, but above all else, get discernment. I wanted to uh, have us do a little little bit uh, on this on this point that you 're starting here a little bit more of a deep dive and have each one of us. Uh, just share what what is the deepest need of our life right now, um, because this is this is what is connected to what you're talking about, Bucky. And I'm going to have you go first, maybe if that's okay. Um, and then and then we'll respond to that and any other questions we have. We're going to open it up to questions a little bit uh, toward the end if you guys have questions you want to ask of us. Um, uh, if we don't want to answer your question, we'll just say boomerang and you have to answer it, but that's okay. <laughs>
3: well, I'm, I'm going I'm to pick up on, on, for me in the yeah. present, uh, what right now is just this this battle of, of just the little white lies or the little untruths. And even, and, and I see some folks in here that have been, are in ministry. I remember when I was on church staff, we would call it, well, ministerially speaking, and what you were really knowing is that they are getting ready to tell a lie or an (laughs) (laughs) embellishment. Who are the ministry guys in the room? (laughs) Okay, couple got it. Okay, go there, 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 So, you, got some amen. Honest guys, right? amen. you know, we, we, well, we think if we're if we're trying to edify a situation, we can maybe embellish it a little bit. And uh, in my marriage, that has not worked. And and I just need to say, I have done a lot of market research on that. And it, you know, <laughs> so I I thought I would just share some things. And this, and this is not an indictment. This is me. This is why. I have found I lie. I lie to cover up my shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. I lie out of fear of the return of pain and discomfort from conflict I knew as a child. I lie to cope with stress and trauma. I lie to avoid punishment, ridicule, or discovery of being found out That inside compared to other people's outside. Um, I lie to overcome low self-esteem when not measuring up to others' expectations. That whole codependency drug, that is as strong as, as a heroin shot in the arm as far as I'm concerned. I I lie because I believe that if I tell you the truth, it will only make things worse, that you'll not forgive me or like me. And this is is the one most common. I lie because I'm not always sure what I think or feel, so I just make stuff up. (laughs) Because I just want you to like me, or I want you to be impressed with me. And the thing is, is in the world of retail in the world of contract sales for a printing company, where I first met Larry. Certainly in the world of literary agenting, where where Wes and I have spent a lot of our last- we we make stuff up to please other people and try to get people to believe us that or have confidence in our abilities. So that's that's kind of where I wanted to go It
1: Reminds me of what uh, Chris Rock said. He said, "When when you meet someone for the first time, you're not meeting them; you're meeting their PR agent."
3: <laughs>
1: right? Uh, I think I think my um, my struggles with what you said are. Um, not being willing in certain circumstances to say what is true in that moment, um, on under the guise of um, of being smart or under the guise of um, it's not the time to say that, uh, or just but inside of me is this fear of if I say this what is going to happen, um, and so my dishonesty I think comes at that point, um, not so much of hiding although there are still tendencies to do that. Um, uh, but, but, but not being honest enough in, in certain situations. I like to. I, I, I am a Muller. I'm i mull things over, and sometimes I need to think about it. And other times, when I really do know what I think, or know what ought to be said, I'll I'll, I'll withhold it um, because I'm afraid of a conflict that might come. I'm afraid of. Um, I'm I'm afraid of creating a tension inside of a, re- a relationship, and I just don't want to deal with it. Uh, so I'm learning about that. I'm learning how to, how to go deeper at those moments. Um, and the way that I, I'm learning uh, to do that is by asking another question, uh, to, to, to perhaps unpack the conversation a little further, unpack this. I had a, a really strong argument at, at our dinner table with a friend the other night over a political thing. And I have, I've, made a, I've made a commitment not to argue about theology or politics Uh, but to listen and to try to learn how to ask good questions around these themes that are often so divisive, because we're living in such a divisive place. Um, And we had to call each other later and say, we really love you, we uh, we really love each other, Um, and we both still feel very strongly about the difference. Uh, And it was probably good that it came out, but it was very hard for me after the fact looking back and saying, Oh, I don't like that kind of conflict. But this is this could be too much of a ripple in the water of our friendship. But we've known these people for almost 40 years, and if that, if, if, if a 40 year relationship can't handle the honesty and the integrity of a difference of opinion, then then we don't really have a friendship. And so far, yeah. I've survived.
3: Yeah. and a big part of that honesty is being able to say, I'm not willing to speak right now on that topic, or I'm or I'm not willing to go there right now. And, and again, that's being yeah. rigorously exactly. honest.
1: Well, you've done you've done that in our in our group sometimes. or I've asked you a question. Go, sometimes well, I think too you, much. much. Well, you, you've said to me several times, Wes. I just I can't talk about that right now. It's not. And you remind me of my brother Nate, who has a great um, uh, sense of boundary around what he's ready to talk about and what he's not. He's not hiding. He's just
2: not ready to talk about that. Uh, Larry, what, what's what's going on over there? <laughs> me. If, be still and know that I'm God, and this has been a problem my whole life. I tend to get busy, and in essence, thrive on busyness, and that's a constant need I have to find time to be still and be with Him. Yeah. Um,
1: one of the things that we keep talking about is, is um, you know, like, what's our life going to look like in the next ten years? Because we're older guys now. I'm 68. Uh, what's it going to look like in 78, uh, 88? Do I make it that far? Maybe not. And and how to have a meaningful life uh, filled with joy, uh, filled with a sense of purpose. Um, and our uh, dinner conversation group at the very least is a stab at trying to answer that question. Um, I do not intend to be alone when I'm old. And, and, and what I'm doing now is not a... Uh, it's not a manipulation of that. It's just I'm investing my life and my heart and who I am in the lives of younger guys, in the lives of, of my peers, and all of that. And I really am going to need, if you can still walk when I can't, I'm going to need you to come and sit on my porch on that other rocking chair and talk to me. Um, you know, you wake up one day and you go, Do I even know six guys that are going to carry my coffin? <laughs> Good question. Do I have that many, you know, or, or is my wife going to call some guys that she thinks are close to me, and they're going to feel sorry for her, and they're going to carry my coffin? You know, so this is a attempt to go deeper than that. Uh, C.S. Lewis um, had, a, had an interesting thing to say about the Inklings. He says, is there any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire? And the fire—I mean, the fire—is worth a lot of different things: for warmth, for beauty, for evoking conversation, and it's also a good place to throw our masks to burn them to smithereens to ashes.
2: Every once in a while, I think of my funeral, and I, I, I don't want to be gruesome about this. I want my funeral, for instance, not to be sad. I, I'd like a rock band to be there afterwards, so everyone can have a good party. But. I got a bunch of guys that I know are going to be there. We only had one person in our group that ever died, and I actually felt hurt in a way that he made a decision with his family before his death. He didn't want a funeral. Right. I needed it because he was part of my life.
1: And, and all the rest of the guys in the group are going to die. Okay. I actually, we'll that out too I've right? got a story about but every, that. everybody makes it
3: to the end of their life and that's the other comfort yeah. we have taking. It. So <laughs> I, I don't know when it was I, the, the year is incidental is but John and, and, and Wes and I uh, were in a CLC group and we you know you meet at O dark 30 and, and you try to be at work by eight o'clock. And later on that morning John calls me and said one of the guys in the group just died. And, and it didn't matter what appointments or what I had to do that day, we, we, we immediately met up and, uh, and <laughs> we went to the funeral home with the, with the widow who was in shock. And, and if any of y'all are in, in that business, n- no disparagement to you, but the particular sales rep who was trying to sell her a package, John and I are going, absolutely not. No. <laughs> don't, you don't want the, the $50,000 funeral. <laughs> we're, we're looking for somewhere around $500. And, you know, and, but we were negotiating on her behalf in, an, in, in one of her most vulnerable moments. And I left that experience in the funeral afterwards, and, and my wife knows this. If anything happens to me, I want you to call John Gifford, because he'll know what to do. He'll know my six, you know. And uh, and these are some of my six, John. And uh, and so, to me, and my recovery friends will will know this. What our temptation is because of this boatload of shame and guilt we sometimes carry around and I believe that's just unconfessed stuff. Yeah. Um, the term is the wreckage of the future. <laughs> we, we know about the wreckage of our past and we know that we need to be present today and grounded in the love of Christ, but sometimes our temptation is to start thinking about all the things that can and might happen and then they end up going the negative and it's that wreckage of the future. And, and, and one of my favorite quotes is Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, she said, the past is history, the future is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. And uh, living in the present, and not in the wreckage of the future. So I have coronary artery disease. As uh, i have five bypasses and four stents you were shot i was shot I, I you know i have i'm a cancer survivor i think the first place i met your family was in the uh, hospital world. yeah and, I, and you you know, for, I know the you hospital. for the evangelical leader I mean, <laughs> yeah that was a post traumatic experience as well uh but the point I'm making is, is death is not something that I really fear. I remember in 1982, it was the night of the gubernatorial primary, and we just went through that a couple of weeks ago. In August, August 5th of 1982, I was shot in a bank robbery uh, where I was taking the night deposit drop from Bellmead Bookstore. You remember uh, 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 the Mills bookstore in Bellmead? And and I had to take the night deposit drop to uh, the uh, ATM branch behind the building. And when I was shot, and I thought, I'm going to die. And the fear of dying was not the big fear. The fear was, but my son is nine months old. I want to see him again. And my daughter is four years old. I want to see my precious baby girl again. I want to see my wife. And suddenly, that that will to live. It wasn't a fear of death. It was a it was it was a belief that that I have more life ahead. And and yes, uh, a few days ago, my wife and I are taking a walk. She said, "Why do you think you're still here?" I, said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what is better than that? <laughs> and there are some times when I wonder if she could have settled that so many times um, i driving in this morning and I, I the the thing that the Holy Spirit gave me is, is I get to be with my son and talking about men 's stuff that 's the highlight of this for me so yeah that 's where I go when I think about death and futures
1: you know uh, what we have here is an invitation uh, from God to participate. And so many of us, um, you know, we've been praying these prayers for a long time. Oh, God, use me. And I keep thinking about what um, it would sound like if my kids said that to me, Dad, we just want you to use us today. And I would cry. I would just cry that that our relationship was so clinical, so transactional. But to have them come and say to me, uh, Dad, we want to participate in what you're doing today, is a whole other ball game. And this this is an invitation to participate, both at pockets uh, twice a month, but also to spread it around. Um, there's probably not anybody in the room, or if, if maybe one or two, who don't have grills, who don't have a table in their house. And I believe that the, the greatest unused resource in the kingdom of God in, in 2018, uh, 2018, that's it, 2018, is our kitchen table, our dinner table and inviting other guys to come into a safe place where there can be a conversation. Um, one of the one of the things that has been a blessing to me is um, guys like Mari Armstrong back here uh, from Grace Center using the dinner conversation model, even though the events are at their church, uh, uh, the dinner conversation model uh, for men's ministry. There's a church in Atlanta beginning that uh, same model as well. There's a guy who happened to read my book in Great Falls, Montana, uh, Mike McKnight. He says... About seven months ago, a very self-confident, quiet guy came who was well-insulated and isolated in his world of work and pain. I told him to simply observe, listen, and feel no obligation to say anything at our dinner meeting just to watch and process. He says, Wes, about an hour in, he asked if he could contribute to the conversation, and for the next 30 minutes, he dumped all of his garbage of his life on the table. We listened. And the guys voluntarily started to affirm him, encourage him. And he has been a faithful uh, attendee ever since. I asked him later why he spoke up. And he said he observed the reality of the men in the room and was able to trust them, even though that was his first night uh, with us at the Golden Corral. And I have this idea that you could be friends with anybody else in the room. But it takes a little bit of intentionality to get to know each other. too. to say, I'm going to love this brother who doesn't look like a guy who could possibly ever be my friend. In fact, I'm going to love this guy who looks pretty much like the guy who betrayed me ten years ago. And I wonder, wonder what beauty God has put into his life that if we take some time to get to know each other in friendship, it's going to really matter and help us. But Larry, you were jumping in. No, at I'm I
2: was going to say one of the guys that um, comes to our dinner and conversation group lives in, Hermitage. And Wes lives down in Franklin. Getting from Hermitage to Franklin is a real nuisance, but he does it anyway. But he said, you know, I'm going to start one of these groups out at Hermitage. And there was somebody involved with it that got it off to a rocky start, but I was just talking to him yesterday and he said, that person left, I guess. But he said, it's fabulous. He says, we got the guys coming together regularly just to have dinner and just to talk. One night we were together and we had a couple of new guys in the group. And Wes asked a question about what was the greatest problem or sorrow you had right now. As you go around, one of these new guys said, My wife just filed for divorce. And somehow we had created a situation where he felt comfortable telling us that so that we could love on him.
1: Uh, if any of you want to do that and want to spend time with us to, to, to just talk about it, or if you need help, uh, if, if God is sort of stirring your heart to, to perhaps do something in your own home, uh, we're available as resources to say, here's how we could help you. Here's how, here are some questions that, that could be starting places. Um, I just want to go one other place um, before we close. Um, and it's simply this the greatest need that I feel on a continual basis. And if you want to know a way that you can pray for me, um, there's a question in Psalm 24 that says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And that sworn deceitfully part is exactly what we're talking about this morning, the dishonesty, the little things. If you want to pray for Wes Yoder, please pray for me at that level, that these things become more deeply true in my own life. Does anybody have a, a question that you'd like us just to interact with before uh, we call in the morning? What is the dinner
0: group we keep talking about?
2: The, the dinner group? Larry, go ahead. Normally, we don't have any agenda. Wes does have some questions that every once in a while he'll say, okay, let's go around the room. For instance, tell me about your father, and then everybody will go around the room and talk a little bit about the father. When and where? Uh, my wife... It, it, when and where do you have a dinner group? It, oh,
1: it, oh, Yeah, it meets at our house typically, but a few a few other times. My wife says I can't invite anybody else because there's no more room at the table, but you can help other guys start their own dinner groups. That's yeah. what she's
2: <laughs> done. And, and, and usually it's roughly every six weeks. And the way it tends to happen is I just say to Wes, would such and such a date be okay? And we'll give him two or three dates, and we'll figure out a day. Sometimes we have met at... Um, Whole Foods here in Franklin has a private room. So there's a couple of places where they have private rooms. So we scouted those out. Sometimes we've had it at David Watson's house several times. Um, It's better in a private home. We will help you if you want to do something like that. You want
1: to take my wife
0: for the night? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, she but needs they to they have, don't take she have a girls group that she can leave the house for the night yeah, she'll, she'll want to run if she sees about six or
3: eight guys coming Yeah, <laughs> another question so you shared a psalm. I'd like to share a reading from, uh, from Ephesians 3 uh, where Paul talks about the very thing we're talking about here for this, uh, this is Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Let me repeat that. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, which is... He owns everything. He's able to do everything. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, where that voice is comparing your insides with other people's outsides, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I want to bring greetings from Doug Golding. I I forgot to mention when Doug Doug was in Huntsville and had the uh, NCS chapter in Huntsville. He's now in Patterson, New Jersey, and has started a new Canaan Society in Patterson, but he's still on this mailing list. And a couple of days ago, he called me as I was driving to work and just said, I saw that you were sharing, and I just wanted you to know, please bring greetings to my brothers. And so um, I, I meant to say that.
1: Thank brothers, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, hearing our hearts this morning. I hope that came through loud and clearly. Uh, and uh, we ask um, the Lord to bless you uh, today. And so we uh, send you out of here in the, in the peace of Christ. Bless you, brothers.
0: You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. If your company is looking to share valuable content with your customers or clients, put it into an ebook or a print book. Hire Harrington Interactive Media to edit and package that book, whether digital or print, so that it looks professional. Go to HarringtonInteractive.com. Talk to you soon.